0: everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey podcast. I am joined today and as always forever until the end of time by my good friend, my business partner, the dear, the sweet, the lovely, the sometimes irritating, Mr. Jason. uh, Did I say irritating? I meant uh, irreverent uh, Mr. Jason Johnston Yellen.
1: I was much happier with sometimes irritating. (laughs) I thought that was very generous. (laughs) Thank you. Uh,
0: You're welcome. So, generous in that occasionally you are and that's a good thing, or occasionally you are and when you aren't, it's a good thing. Like, do you aim to be irritating?
1: Around my house, my brand is irritating. All right. That's your brand. That's, that's, that's what I'm known for mm-hmm. around the house. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a 13 year old who's clearly annoyed by me all the time. <laughs> I, I have a wife. Who expects me to do things That I don't do And I'm clearly annoying to her I think it's really the 10 year old Who's probably the most forgiving in the house Is that
0: because he he's gets it.
1: Does he get it
0: Or is he just too young He doesn't know any better
1: No he gets it he, He's the one that's got the insight
0: Alright okay
1: He's picking up what I'm putting down
0: Oh jeez You should close the <laughs> lid more often
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've been busy,
0: yeah, that's true as a
1: as a company as as dads we've obviously been busy, but as a company, we've been busy i am I'm thinking back to around about the time we were recording the last episode of One Nation mm. Under Whiskey, I threw myself into the virtual whiskey show you put did. on by the whiskey exchange. you did, yeah. I had a I had a blast you and I were were greatly honored we were pulled into a session with Elixir Brands and we got to sit and be interviewed by our good friend Ollie Chilton mm-hmm. the man behind the selections for single malts of Scotland mm-hmm. the the man behind the blending for the Black tot rum that we both enjoy mm-hmm. and the man behind Portisgeek that lovely right. Isla amazing and yep and we had we had questions for him but he had lots of questions for us and so we we sat and had questions back and forth and answers
0: how do you feel about that you know as two guys who go out to interview people how do you feel when when the tables are turned
1: well actually i've, I've got a twofold answer for you all right on one fold mm-hmm. we have the feedback that we've received on the Will Oldham episode, where regular listeners of the podcast have said, it was brilliant that he had questions for you. Mm. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. I, I, I'm glad he asked you the questions that he did. Yeah. Uh, and so that that's always great to hear. And then on the second fold, you and I say this to all of our interviewees, our, our podcast guests. Mm-hmm. We say to them, we're not inviting you to a Q&A session we're inviting you to a whiskey conversation and the best conversations are always a two-way street. And so any guest wishing to ask us questions, I think just furthers the fact that this is a conversation. It's not, you know, just simple Q and a, we come in with eight to 10 questions. We ask them of you. We don't really listen to your answers. Then we go into the next question and Mm. then we get out of here. It's, you know, there, there have been times where we've lined up an interview and I've thought, oh, this is, this is going to be the time to ask this question. Mm-hmm. I've wanted to know the answer to this question. And I've come out of an hour and a half interview and I've never asked my question. Yeah,
0: you know, I, I, 100%. Yep, same.
1: Right, because the conversation just hasn't gone in that direction. And so we always let the interviewee guide the interview. That seems natural yeah. to me and I think it seems natural to you. Well, it it doesn't it doesn't,
0: right? So, forty something me. It oh. does, right? It's I'm I'm more than happy to have that conversation and to go with the flow. However, I mean, as as you likely know, I'm I'm a bit of a control freak and I don't like to give things up
1: and that's that's why I'm surprised I'm only sometimes annoying because in trying to you know rest control of our company away from you uh-huh. I could see the way in which you would find that annoying yeah yeah and
0: uh, you know what you rarely if ever annoy me that I was just being silly
1: um, <laughs> you know it, it's too late now I, I will not sleep tonight I will know that I have annoyed you at some point but it 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 took me
0: a little while to be comfortable with the idea of, of completely going with the flow. And I would say that earlier on when we started this podcast, if people had asked us questions, while, of course, I welcomed them secretly inside, I would be saying, well, now I know I won't be able to ask this question because so much time has been, has been taken <laughs> up. And, and But I've gotten to the point now where I'm more comfortable going with the flow. And, and even though, like you had said, you know, you'll get into a conversation wanting to, to ask certain questions and you, re- and you leave that conversation not having had the chance to do so. That most definitely happened with me during our Will Oldham conversation. But at the end of the day, we got to speak with someone who, who we think very highly of. And how cool is it when someone who you deem to be an important person questions you about something that they say, well, these guys are, these guys know what they're talking about. Let me ask them. I kind of like that. Yeah, I kind of like that.
1: Well, and and I think, you know, the thing to remember is, as we've been calling it internally, that was our first Will Oldham conversation. That's true. You know, Very true. It, it doesn't just exist in a vacuum. It, it's not just a one-off event. Mm-hmm. That's the. It was the first conversation we had, and I'm, I'm curious to see where our future conversations go with him. The the other aspect for me, and I, and I say this as somebody, you know, who, who publishes a weekly episode of of one of two podcasts with you now, but when our interviewee asks us questions. Mm-hmm. What I have in the back of my head is our listeners aren't here to listen to us answer your questions. They're here to listen to you answering our questions. And, and sometimes I have to kind of bundle up my confidence and my self-belief. And I, and I have to think, obviously, because, you know, we do have long rambling intros, no our our listeners are interested in our answers to questions being yeah. posed to us and, and 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 that only makes me feel even more fondly for our listeners mm-hmm. yeah. that that they are here for us and and i, I love that and I, I i i sometimes forget it not in a taking them for granted way but in the opposite and I I forget that they they do enjoy our relationship. You know, look at the you know the the beautiful letter and note that we got from Travis Williams. <laughs> the the beautiful letter that we got from Vadim, mm-hmm. right? Where you know w- we know that our listeners enjoy the fact that you and I enjoy one another. Mm-hmm. And this this podcast is an excuse for you and me. To spend time together, just shooting the shit, which is why we have long rambling intros, because we're just shooting the shit.
0: I, I know. And it's, it's so funny. You know, you and I were supposed to record last night. And
1: and it, the day before that.
0: And the day before that. But, you know, <laughs> usually I will push everything out of the way to do this because this is just the most Right, like right now, the most fun I'm having with our company is just recording podcasts and having conversations with people. And I thought you were
1: going down the path of the most fun you're having with your clothes on. But I, then I remembered we we don't talk like that anymore.
0: No, we don't talk like that anymore, Jason. So stop being naughty.
1: Let's let's pause for a second. All right, right. before you yeah. finish your thought, okay. yeah, go ahead. we got a we we got an email, a, a Facebook. It was comment. a Facebook comment.
0: Yeah, and I'm glad you're bringing this up. Good, good, good. Yeah. So, it's funny you ask that. I'm I'm actually looking at the comment because I was in our One Nation Under Whiskey Facebook group page. And this comment came in two weeks ago, and you and I discussed it last week, and I'm glad we're discussing it on today's podcast. It came in from uh, listener Kurt Suter.
1: Kurt Suter. I right. knew there was an S there, but I thought it maybe started with an S, first name. Right,
0: Yes, Suter, S-U-I-T-O-R. And the, his comment was on us posting the Extra Extra episode, which, you know, was about sexism in, in whiskey, right? Or, aka, Murraygate, or the Jim Murray episode, as some people have been referring to it as. And, and his comment goes as such. Just finished the episode and agree completely with your stance on the responsibility of white males, myself included, to make whiskey culture more inclusive. That being said, maybe you and Jason should consider dropping the dick jokes on the podcast. And I read that to myself, and you're never on Facebook, and and uh, I thought about it for a few days. And as each day went on, I'm thinking, oh, gosh, I really... I as funny as we think they are in a vacuum, maybe Kurt's right. And so I said, you know, I'll, let's, let me bring it to Jason and see what he says. And so here we are, and now we're talking about it live and in person.
1: We are, in, and what I liked about Kurt's comment was that it was something that was rattling around in my brain. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you and I talked about was we do it in fun right and we don't do it to ostracize anybody no but perhaps our intentions are really meaningless within this context the, the other the other side note here is we we talk about a whiskey podcast with dick jokes mm-hmm. we really don't do a lot of dick jokes no we, right? we really it's, don't you know <laughs> I, I, I can't really remember. And, and if, if somebody has a timestamp or, or an episode on it, you know, do send it in. But I, I don't, off the top of my head, really recall the last time we relied on one. But, but it can be there, mm-hmm. right? It yeah, can sure. be something we pull out. And, you know, please don't read into what I just did there. But... But right, so you know, let, me pa- let
0: me pause you right there. That typically is the extent of our dick jokes, right? Where you may say something like that and then I'll just chuckle, right? Like that, but having said that, just that in and of itself, I can see some people saying,
1: "Ah, that's just cheap, it's just cheap. Which it is, 100%. And part of the reason that I I do it to get you to chuckle through your nose uh, is is because it is cheap, you know? We always talk about the low-hanging fruit. (laughs) Um, the, the the other aspect for it is as soon as you start telling people that you're going to police yourself and you're going to police your own jokes, people say, "Oh, come on, come on! It's just fun. I love coming here for the fun. Stop being fun, right? <laughs> um, you know." And and I think the part that you and I discussed previously is we can still have fun we can still have have chats and be silly mm-hmm. it's just one aspect mm-hmm. that we think might have served its time yeah. right and if and if a dick joke only works because we're telling it to other people who look like us and i mean that as as white middle class with a penis if if we're only telling it, and if they're the only people that are are getting the joke, are only the only people in on the joke, mm-hmm. then that has failed, mm-hmm. right? That's not uh, a place where we want to be. And so, you know, if if you're a if you're a woman in the industry, if you're a, a, a female listener, and we do one of those low hanging fruit, you know, throwaway comments, perhaps you roll your eyes and and you move on to the very next seconds of the podcast. Mm -hmm. But if we've caused you to roll your eyes, that's a that's a distinct response to oh this old shit again. Mm -hmm. Right. And so there there is a way in which we definitely, you know, want to be more inclusive than that. We Mm -hmm. you know we we have Jess on staff and we love having Jess on staff and we have our own kind of internal paging HR joke, mm-hmm. which and, and sometimes Jess makes the paging HR joke uh-huh. as well. But maybe that maybe that's not the world we, we need to be living in. Here's, here's the thing, here's the takeaway as I as I stumble through this response. You and I don't have the answers to this. Correct. You and I don't have the manual on the correct way to respond to this. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is. Maybe we could try not doing that and see if it works. Mm -hmm. That's it. We're not telling anybody else how to to behave. We're not telling anybody else what to find funny. We're just saying in this podcast that we send out into the world, maybe we're going to try to not do this one thing and see what happens.
0: What if we fail, Jason? Oh my gosh.
1: I can almost guarantee we will fail, Joshua. <laughs> and if you and I didn't do things because we might fail, yeah. we might never have bottled an Amrut. We might never have bottled a pindarin. We might never have bottled a two-year-old milk and honey. We might <laughs> never have taken a chance on Whistlepig. We might never have approached George Grant and I could go on. So we, well, we, we've never lived yeah. with fear of failure before. We'll try. We'll see what it looks like. We're still going to be Egypts, as we say in Scotland. Mm.
0: Well, you mentioning Amrut, Pandaren, milk and honey, right? This is a perfect, beautiful, immaculate transition into today's guest,
1: right? See, that's somebody else picking up what I'm putting down. I could get used to this in my life.
0: Right. Tell let Zevi know he's been picking up what you've been putting down. Someone else is doing. He's got competition. <laughs> <laughs> will you call me son, Dad? <laughs> so wow, I'll be your fourth dad. Uh, you will be my fourth dad, uh, potentially fifth. That's another story. Anyway, um,
1: can I be your can I be your Zadie? That's the question. Oh my
0: gosh! Can I just call you Uncle Art? We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Anyway, inside joke for you, me, my wife, and maybe tomorrow.
1: Anyway. That's never going to survive.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, so today's guest is really, you know, when you'd mentioned Amrut, Pendarin, Milk and Honey, you know, off the bat, my thought is, okay, he's starting to, to rattle off world whiskey producers. Yep. And today's guest, Raj Sabarwal. Is, has really been a pioneer when it comes to the importation of world whiskies into the U.S.
1: I'm so glad you used that word because in this interview, when you listen to the hoops he jumped through <laughs> to legitimize Indian single malt yeah. on government paperwork, mm-hmm. not just in the eyes and the mouths of consumers— but in government level paperwork, mm-hmm. he 100% pioneered that 100%. 100%. Oh yeah, I mean, Amrit would
0: not be here in the U.S. if it if it weren't for Raj. If it weren't for him working with slash fighting with the TTB to get to get proper nomenclature around what is Indian single malt. And, uh, and that's a great part of the story. Actually, the, the interview kind of starts off with that. But then, you know, as listeners will hear, he goes into a bit more depth of, you know, what what it means slash what it takes to start an import company in the U.S. and the ins and outs of that and the the trials and tribulations of bringing on an English whiskey and then, you know, Sullivan's Cove and, you know, these whiskeys from these far-flung areas of the world, at least, at least from the minds of, you know, when you're, when you're thinking of where whiskey is made, right? Those are far flung, you know, countries in the world. Uh, You know, this is someone who said, I believe in this and I'm going to help make this happen. I, I feel like he's the type of guy that is just taking chances all the time, but maybe they're not so much chances right? It, it's, it's calculated and, and he knows what to do at this point and has known what to do, right?
1: Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. There, there, there's a reason that, that he's now bringing Waterford mm. into into this country, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. He's a known commodity. And, and, and we talk about it within the interview, you know, if Sam filmus Chris Udy, and Impex are known for their world whiskey portfolio, and can be trusted Mm -hmm. with new global brands and Scotchies, Raj is occupying that as well. Raj is known as somebody who can introduce and build a world product uh, for you. And and the thing I I wanted to add on, you mentioned a moment ago, Amrut wouldn't be in this country without Raj. Single cast nation Single Cask amaret and Single Cask English Whiskey Company would not have been in this country without Raj. 100%. And, and working with Raj on bringing in those two single casks, you know, it was fantastic, is always fantastic. And as much as he no longer represents English Whiskey Company, for for nation members who are, are listening to this podcast, we harass Raj constantly <laughs> on getting another AMRUT single cask for Single Cast Nation mm-hmm. and and so don't, don't think just because we I can't remember if we mentioned that in the interview or whether it made the final cut of the interview but know that we definitely harass Raj and any time we begin that question he always says I, I know where this is going we are still working You are, you are on the radar you are on the list Please be patient, and we, you know, we talk about it all the time. We're not, we're not very good at being patient. So. No,
0: no, no. Yeah, I, I can imagine. You know, anytime he's he knows he's going to be meeting with us, talking with us. He's probably thinking, okay, I need to have some sort of an answer for these guys as to why Amra isn't happening right now. So, <laughs> but we are we're hopeful for twenty twenty one, maybe.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd love. Uh, oh yeah. Everybody knows it. Our, our our nation members are already on board. We're very much on board. We're just waiting on that Amrut door reopening for for our cask sales. Mm-hmm. Um. And anything else to add before we throw this over to ourselves with Raj? I don't think so, Jason. I I I think we just
0: opened the floodgates to this conversation, which was a brilliant one. You know, any time spent with Raj is time well spent and and going back and editing this podcast w- was a joy because you listen back and it's just three friends getting together having a bit of a conversation about about whiskey and and so yeah so i don't want to add anything else except i hope others enjoy the conversation as much as we enjoyed having it with raj
1: So, Raj, we've known each other for a long, long time. And it's been wonderful and fantastic. And I always enjoy bumping into you when we're at different festivals, when we used to be able to travel around the country. Mm-hmm. But how did you get into this? Hmm. What's, what's the origin story for Raj Sabarwal?
2: That's a great question, Jason. I mean, uh, uh, ironically, this is our 10th anniversary, uh, having started the business. Oh, oh. huh. So...
1: Sweet. Yeah. in in 2020 is the 10th yeah, anniversary. Yeah. Correct. Oh, correct. fantastic! Wow. Oh, we're
2: 10 next year. Oh, great. Well, there you yeah. we go. Look so at that. We're, we're sharing <laughs> something. So, um, so 2008, uh, I had moved from Canada back uh, down to the U.S. Uh, my wife wanted to uh, work back in the U.S. and be closer to family. Um, and of course, 2008, as we all know, was when the uh, last economic crisis hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I had retired from a uh, company I was working with and said, "Oh, you know, I'll get a job down in Charlotte." And of course, that was not to be. I mean, everyone I called was like, "Yeah, we'd love to hire you," but no. Hmm. And my uh-huh. my business partners uh, who were in Canada were importing Omrit and um, in the western part of Canada, mm-hmm. and they called me up and said. Hey, you know, we've always talked about going into the business together and we have this Indian whiskey that we're importing uh, and they're asking about the U.S. And I said, Indian whiskey, there is no good Indian whiskey. What are you talking about? You know, because I had never had any, any good Indian whiskey in all the times I had been to uh, India. So uh, I went, tried it. Wow, this is very good and said, you know, I, I'm not doing anything right now. Why don't I give it a shot and see what happens? And knew nothing about the business side of it in the U.S. It took us a year to get all the approvals and everything else like that. Uh, and I just learned on the go. I mean, having to decide who our distributors were going to be. And, you know, we made, obviously made some mistakes along the way. But, you know, 10 years ago, uh, April, 10 years ago was when we got our first Shipment of Amrut, uh, we were in three states then, had hmm. the one brand, and uh, you know, 10 years later, we're in 45 states with uh, 12 different brands.
1: Remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Just when you, you talked a moment ago there about the paperwork for Amrut, you and I have discussed, <laughs> along with Joshua, along the way what it was like getting an Indian single malt Registered in the United States. Could you talk to that a little bit of some of the struggles that you encountered in the early days?
2: Sure. And, you know, Jason, as you know, uh, the TTB, our, our beloved uh, <laughs> governing body, uh, <laughs> has no, no official designation for a single malt. Uh, it doesn't matter where it's from. Uh, the only reason hmm. we see single malts from Scotland um, is because, you know, it's, it's, it's a designation that they have there. Uh, So the closest thing that they have here is a malt whiskey. Um, Uh And we, back then, 10 years ago, uh, we had to actually submit bottle samples, full bottles, not just we sample. Mm. So full 750 ml bottles uh, to the lab, TTB lab. And they do whatever and come back with an analysis and say, okay, you can call it this. Uh, along, I mean, along with the samples, we also had to disclose full production methods and uh, ingredients and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so they came back and said, "It's a, okay. You can call it a straight malt whiskey." And I said, what straight, the malt. A "Straight malt? Of course whiskey? you can." And I said, "You know, uh, said, this, this does not qualify as a straight malt whiskey, and and you know the consumers are not going to know what it is." You know, and mm-hmm. and so then you know I had to go back and forth. Had to talk to the director, uh, and they finally agreed. Okay, it's a malt whiskey, and yes, you can use the word single. Uh, so that's that's what happened, and wow. we actually you know it, <laughs> it, we not only with that, but then obviously the English whiskey company and Sullivan's Cove. So mm-hmm. we had a number of mm-hmm. world single malts that we had to go through the same hoops to to get Um, and luckily now you know we don't have to send in lab samples it's it's, you know you just apply for it uh do the label the cola uh filing and we just state that you know there is no added color or or flavor to
1: this i'm still trying to get my head around straight malt what what did in their minds what did that designate what was straight malt saying that it was in
2: percent uh, malted grain, and it had spent more than two years. More than years, two years, right? Yeah, because straight than two is, years yeah in the barrel. Uh, you know, and then obviously we weren't doing any age statements on there. Um, oh, sorry, I had. To, I'm sorry, it had to be 50. No, 75 percent or uh, malted barley or something like that. I don't think it was 100 percent, or maybe it was. I can't remember. But they, uh, okay. because okay. we were, like for example, with fusion, it was you know, the combination of the classic single malt and the peated, and then married together for a period of time. And when you start using other barrels, then that sort of says to them, no, you can't do that. You know, it's not, it's not a a, a
1: single malt. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Are there any straight malts in the marketplace? Is this a category I, that I've been? I don't know on? if there are. I mean, obviously, there's you know there are
2: other straight American whiskeys out there, and and generally, if you look at it, if you look at the designations, yeah. the designation of straight tends to fall under the American whiskey categories, not yeah, not world whiskey. That's where and, my mind went. You know, went. so that was my other argument, saying this is only yeah. applicable to American whiskeys. It's not to world whiskeys, and you can't turn around and and, uh, enforce a designation on us that that makes no sense.
0: Yeah. I want to get a bit more into this and into what it looks like to to grow the world whiskey market because you were definitely a pioneer in that, especially starting 10 years ago. But before we get into that, I'm really curious to know, I'm hoping you can share with our listeners what it's like to actually start an import company like what 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 is entailed in just legally getting that set up you know warehousing what laws are in place and and how do you as <laughs> as a new importer who who is just making uh, his name attracting attracting the brands that you're attracting so what what did that look like from from day 1 from Raj saying Let's start this import. Uh,
2: well, good question. I mean, I you know obviously the first place I went was to uh, the TTB to find out what we had to do, and we had to file reams of paperwork, which I think back then it was less onerous than it is now. Um, I think they're looking for a mm-hmm. lot more financial disclosure and other things that uh, we didn't have to you know go into as much detail back then, um, but we certainly had to have. An appointment letter from a brand, and that was obviously from Amrut because you can't start Hmm. an import business without at least having one brand that you're going to represent. And uh, and then you know then we had to get all of the you know submit that, submit the paperwork, submit the financial disclosure, and I think it took maybe three or four months to get that. And now I think they're running six to nine months for. Um, so you have to get okay. what's called a basic permit. and a basic permit allows mm-hmm. you so there's different categories of it, but there's an import uh, and also a whole you can get also a wholesaler or a combined import wholesaler permit. Um, back then we only had the um, okay. import and you know and when we started off, the company was Purple Valley Imports, which you know we changed our name about four mm-hmm. years ago to Glass Revolution. Once you have that, uh, then we had to go, back then, we had to go through uh, formula approval first before you can even get the label approval, which I talked about sending the samples mm-hmm. into the lab. Uh, once we once we had, you know, they had agreed that we could call it this, then we had to submit the labels. Um, so I really couldn't do anything uh, as far as importing until we had gotten all of that paperwork done. Um, and then uh, at the same time then we had to apply for uh, state permits and you know every state as you guys know has different regulations you know thanks to uh, the repeal of prohibition the federal government basically washed their hands uh, you know and and gave the states the rights to say this is the way that we will regulate uh, alcohol consumption so you know, we—I uh, think we started. The first three states we were in were uh, New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts, and followed cl- followed closely by Illinois, um, and then California. Okay. And I think New York was probably the the toughest one because of the regulations. You know, you have to you have to file. They have their own <laughs> label approval process, which <laughs> they can either accept or reject, which you know makes no sense. of the Federal government's approved it. Why are you rejecting it? Um, you know, and then price filing and all of that stuff. But, uh, um, but you know, the good thing, you know, we approached it, you know, back then uh, we were, when we first started bringing it in, we paid the price and, and went to um, Whiskey Fest. It was our first big show. You know, had our mm-hmm. table up there with the banners and everything else like that. And um, people would just, like, look at Indian whiskey and walk right by.
1: Oh wow! Oh, of course. Uh, especially, yeah, of course. <laughs>
2: especially the uh, uh, you know di- the Indian diaspora that's living in the U.S. and and you know they had the same reaction that I did was well you know there is no good Indian whiskey. Indian whiskey, as you guys know, uh, is not really whiskey. It's it's uh, made from a neutral molasses spirit with either uh, mostly imported yeah. whiskey of some added to it, usually Canadian or Scottish uh, blended whiskey that's being added to it. And so we did get people coming by, and I remember that what really helped us was, you know, in 2010, malt advocate back then named um, Amrit Fusion World Whiskey of the Year, and Jim Mm -hmm. Murray's whiskey Bible called Amrit Fusion third best whiskey in the world that year, giving it 97 points. So that I remember it very that well. Really, very well. Uh, you know, that was uh, you know a blessing <laughs> in some ways because that really opened people's eyes to the fact, like an Indian whiskey. You know what what's that all about? Um, and mm-hmm. you know, I don't. I think if we didn't have that happen coincidentally when we were launching, it probably uh, would have been a, a tougher struggle.
1: Well, I was going to ask you about the the response to to fusion. You know, being being so well regarded like that, was there enough stock of fusion to respond to the the newly found um, demand for well, it? Well, that's
2: a good question. There's there still is not enough fusion to meet worldwide demand. <laughs> Even if you look at you know if you wow. look at domestically, <laughs> um, the demand in India is five times more than they can supply currently. Um, and any time there's a release wow. of fusion, it you know it's gone within a day. You um, and and partially is because yeah. you know the the bigger component. I mean, seventy five percent of fusion is the single malt, the uh, Indian classic single malt, which is using one hundred percent Indian barley. Um, and the the other twenty five percent, you know, is mm-hmm. peated, um, which they're also you know making at the distillery. It's not they're not importing any whiskey; they're making everything there. So there was, I think, at one point there was a. A real strain on the 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 amount of peated stock they had. Um, In fact, they were using all of it for fusion production. Uh, We couldn't get any peated whiskey uh, from them for a period of time. Um, But now, with you know, now they have the second Mm -hmm. distillery that they've built next to the first one, uh, which is only dedicated Mm -hmm. to malt production. Six warehouses, you know, that they're stocking. Um, You know, we'll get into this later. But the benefit of uh making your whiskey in, in uh Bangalore is the quick maturation that happens because of the climate. You know, so we don't have to wait, you know, mm-hmm. fifteen years mm-hmm. or twelve years or whatever to have stock ready. You know, I think in another couple of years um we'll be Amrit will be will be well on their way to having a good supply of stock.
0: Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah. I, I remember reading about the new the new stills being installed and And if if that were happening in Scotland, right? Like Kilhoman recently had two new stills installed. But it's going to be a while until you see, you know, they see the fruits of their labor and we see a difference in in what's being put out to market. So that that hot climate helps. So, all right. So you, you start off with AMRA. Then 2010 happens... And Fusion is called uh, Whiskey Advocates' number one whiskey. And Jim Murray calls it the number three whiskey in the world. Had you already started bringing on other brands at that point? Or at that point, did brands start start noticing you and started reaching out to you? So, good
2: question. Brands started reaching out to us. And the first uh, additional brand we had was Blackadder. And Blackadder had a relationship mm-hmm. with um, Amrit already, They, you know, Robin knew Ashok from uh, Ashok's time in, in the UK. And so Blackadder said, you know, hey, we, you know, we don't ha- currently have a US importer, uh, you know, would you take us on? And um, I was like, yeah, it's great. Um, and then also followed by the English Whiskey Company, which back then was pretty new. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were referred to us from Armored as well. And so that became part of our stable. So back Back then then we, you know, it was funny. We weren't, uh, looking for brands. Brands were approaching us. Um, Sullivan's Cove was the same thing because we were importing it into Canada. They, uh, you know, said, well, you know, we'll, we'll let you handle it in the U.S. as well. Uh. And, you know, this, that continues. I mean, now we are looking for brands, but we still get approached. Um, you know, our, our newest brand, okay. Waterford, uh, we were approached. You know, I didn't even think that we'd have a shot at it, but they uh, they approached us. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there was, I think, five or six other importers they spoke to in the U.S. and um, and mm-hmm. decided that we would, you know, we had the right attitude, we had the right approach uh, to work with
0: that's fantastic um, you know as as you're, list, as you're listing out all of these brands I, I just you know as an importer very uh, of smaller niche brands and and typically world whiskey brands when I say world whiskey that's shorthand for not scotch whiskey and not American whiskey right that's <laughs> the rest that's world whiskey like how much of your time do you feel as if you're pushing water uphill with a brand until it until it takes off, or does that just never does that never end? Like, what what does that look like for you? Because it seems you've you took on a very hard task and continue to 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 go that route. Meanwhile, the American public is getting more and more in, into world whiskies. But what did that look like for you?
2: Well, it, it you know I. Th- think that that really uh, made us want to be and need to be educators. Uh, You know, whether we were doing um, blind tastings or comparison tastings, you know, I remember in 2011, I think uh, in San Jose, California, 75 people and we did a, a a blind tasting and I threw in some scotches and some Amrits uh, as well, and you know mm-hmm. people didn't know what they were until the end. And you know, Fusion came in number one. Um, <laughs> and I remember this this tall Scottish gentleman. You know, he was wearing a kilt. He came up to me at the end and said, "It's not right." And I said, "What's not right?" And I said. <laughs> he said, "Single malt should only be made in Scotland." And I said, "Yes, but you enjoyed this, oh didn't you?" And he said, "Yes, <laughs> but it's still not right." <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness.
2: But, but, you know, I mean, I think things like that that we continue to do um, have really, uh, you know, gotten people on, uh, onto it. Um, mm. You know, the, I mean, now, you know, like I say, we're in 45 states and, and the churn is constant, um, you know, where people reorders are going through and, and uh, continue to get that. but you know there's still a lot of people who don't know Amrut, don't know that india makes a world class single malt mm-hmm. um so you know we're still having to reach out to to people and 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 uh get people aware of it
1: i want to ask you raj about five lions mm. because you've obviously represented independent bottlers you've you know represented black adder for a long time and and i certainly feel in a lot of my conversations with people, people know Black Adder and they they know Robin Tuchek and, and kind of the the Black Adder story there. But you represent Five Lions. I've tasted Five Lions with you. I buy Five Lions. Uh, Anthony Levinson at Roma in New York told me I had to get the Lechig in Madeira mm-hmm. from Five Lions. Uh, and I did. Uh, and, you know, Michael Nolan got me some in Chicago as well, so I'm doing well there. <laughs> but I was thinking this today. I literally know nothing about Five Lions. Like, just, just nothing. And aside from the fact that I like their stuff. So could you take a moment and talk to us about Five Lions and let our listeners know about this
2: Well, I, I, know, I really I, good I, independent I, bottler? Yeah, I would and I could, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, what what you have from Five Lions is it. Uh, they they are no longer, the people behind it are no longer uh, working on that brand. Oh. They've moved on to other stuff. And, and so oh. there is there is no more Five Lions. Uh, however, oh, wow. I mean, you know, I, okay. think, I think what they were doing, um, you know, basically just in a nutshell, because there is still Five Lions stuff around, two whiskey geeks from Germany who – love whiskey and mm-hmm. uh you know i don't know if you've ever been to germany but there are probably more independent bottlers in germany than anywhere else Yep, sure and a lot of them however you know the quality of what they're putting out there is not great they're more concerned about the distillery than the quality of the cask and so mm. you know they'll buy something and just bottle it and and sell it and and um you know th- uh, the two two fellows behind five lions uh Wanted to to go around that and make sure that the quality of cask was important, and that's why you see things like, in and Madeira and uh, you know uh, uh, other other really unusual casks, uh, mm-hmm. either finishing or maturation that you normally wouldn't see and definitely wouldn't see from the distillery.
1: Was there um, a Williamson in Port? Am I yeah, remembering that? Uh,
2: there wasn't a Williamson in Port. There was a Williamson. Uh, we still have a little bit of it left, which you know we all okay. know is
1: is is the uh, uh, I've got some on my shelf behind me. Yeah, and it's nice. <laughs> and, and
2: I think I think Williamson in a port in port cast would be delicious. Um, yeah, I'll we'll probably have to work on that. We, you know, so <laughs> there. Oh, we do have, you know, that. Uh, you know, that's another independent bottler that we have that I'll talk about in a second. But uh, you know, so we continue to have independent bottlers. I mean, we not only Blackadder, but we have Murray McDavid, um, which right, we yeah. started importing about two years ago. Mm-hmm. And, oh, okay. You know, and Mary McDavid, uh, you know, does, again, they're all about the cask and, and uh, what type of cask. And, you know, they have a person who all, their only role is to seek out and source great quality casks, uh, whether they be ex-wine casks from France or, you know, um, uh, sweet wine casks or whatever, port sherry, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so we've had really cool stuff like, a you know, 25-year-old, Scotia that spent 22 years in sherry and then three years in a in a first class burgundy cask.
1: Oh, interesting. Um,
0: you poured just, that. Just
2: so, so good. Did you? Put, uh, I didn't.
0: Yeah, at uh, Brandy Library last. Was it last? Yeah, yeah I remember that. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. That,
2: was, that was delicious. That was you know. so, really <laughs> delicious. You know, everything to do. I mean, speaking about Williamson and port, you know, they did a, a LaFroyd that was eight years in port and seven years in uh, sherry.
1: Ah. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, you know,
2: so good. So, you know, so again, that gives that fills that that hole that five lions uh left us with and, and having Mary McDavid and then we also have uh the Furkin, which is uh, oh, yeah. a newer independent bottler. Uh and they're all about the casks, you know, they have uh talking about Madeira. I mean, we've got I think Kalila and um I want to say uh, ardmore finished in Madeira okay royal bracla in no sorry those two are in Marcella so the, the <laughs> kalila and the uh, ardmore in, in Marcella the royal okay. Bracla in Madeira and uh the telebardine in a combination of uh, Amontillado and uh, Piet, uh Piet sherry
1: okay so yep
2: wow. really really uh interesting and um' I'm just trying to think what other India of- so those are a couple of the independents we have right now, and each of them do, you know, have their own niches. We don't want, we're not obviously wanting them to compete, but yep. as you know, that allows us to have Scottish single malts in our portfolio. Um, although right now with the, you know, the tariff, that's a, not a good thing to have. You know, we're I'm looking at a lot of uh, single grains and uh, blended malts because that's one way, yep. one way around the tariff. You know, I mean, it's crazy. When, you know, I just quoted some. Uh, Single barrels for a couple of uh, retailers, and you know, I'm looking like eight, nine thousand dollars just in tariff.
0: It's crazy. Oof. It's absolutely crazy. I I think I might want to go down the the tariff uh, rabbit hole, but b- before I <laughs> do, before we do, yeah. So from from the perspective of an importer, and 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 this is not this question isn't like, what is it. The whiskey world writ large, but from your perspective as, as an importer, what is the place of an independent bottler within your portfolio? Is it just so that it allows you to get some Scotch whiskey in there? Because, you know, I don't think you have any um, Scotch whiskey distilleries or other brands within your portfolio. Is it is it that, or do you see it as serving some other uh, purpose?
2: Um, that's a good question. So it, it's it's both. It is because it lets us get scotch, single malts, and, and other scotch. You know, uh, I'm a big single grain fan, so mm-hmm. getting those in there. Mm-hmm. But I also think it serves a purpose because, you know, my love of whiskey um, allows us to, through independence, is to get distillery bottlings that you normally would not see from a distillery. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. uh, like having a... Uh, um, Belmenic, which we just got from Blackadder last year, mm. you know Belmenic, you know rarely do you see that as an indip- as a distillery bottling because yeah. so much of it goes into blends, mm. um, but it, it certainly gives an opportunity for, you know it's part of my uh, my greater mission to educate people on on whiskey and and uh, when it comes to Scotch is to convince people that not all scotch is peated and smoky. Um, 100% but by by doing that and and just showing people the range of of uh single malt whiskies from Scotland and that, you know, that you know, uh, a lowland or a a site or a highland or islands, you know, is there really a difference between t- regions, you know, or yeah. is or is regions just a a misnomer that uh you know somebody created and mm-hmm. and uh you know, it's, it's we don't it doesn't really matter
1: yeah yeah we always talk about the regions being you know very nice for broad strokes but every region is crossing over into every other region exactly. currently yeah. um, but but as a broad stroke as a way to just start day one with somebody coming into this category I think is a lovely way to introduce people you know to the overarching uh, category
2: uh, absolutely I mean you know if somebody you know typically yes there is a distinction between you know Isla, and uh, for the most part, you know not everyone in Isla makes yep. a peated whiskey. Uh, and and traditionally, what came out of the lowlands, and you know the lowlands, you know a lot of single grain distillation happened in, sure. in, in the lowlands. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know there was there was only one that was further north, which was uh, Strathclyde. You know it's, right. it's mm. the only grain in Glasgow, that's, right? That's up in the Highlands, but everybody else. Yeah, Glasgow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is, you know, White and Mackay owns, uh, Strathclyde gives them there what they need for it, so, yeah.
1: Yeah. Didn't Strathclyde, as a facility, have a a single malt distillery within the grounds? That, I don't know. I mean, I know that... Just like Girvan now has with Ailsa Bay. Yeah. I want to say Strathclyde had the same thing.
0: Yeah, between... 1957 and 1975, I want to say. There, were, there was some distillery. I think it was Strathclyde who did have that.
2: Well, I mean, certainly Girvin had uh, Ladyburn, yep. right, for a period of time. A uh, very short eight years or something that Ladyburn existed mm. um, as a single malt, but, uh, you know...
1: It's always such a funny moving category, isn't it? Like there's just, and do you remember when that was like that for that eight year period, but then it was like this for another 20 years. And yeah. then they created this other thing for 10 years. It's just like, oh my Lord, how we remember yeah. all this or don't. <laughs> uh, the older I get, the harder it is to remember all
2: of the details. Yeah, exactly. Well, there's, there's probably more more that you've forgotten than
1: you that you know, so... <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, so, so given that you're dealing with, with Indian single malt and there's, there's been battles there, and given that you're dealing with independent bottlers and we all know the battles that are there, uh, and given you're about to bring in a new producer from Ireland, and we'll talk about that in just a second, what's, what's the easiest thing you do, Rash? What's, what's the thing that you don't... Uh, Joshua used this expression earlier, which is so delightful. What's the one moment when you don't have to push water uphill?
2: Well, I was, I was going to say that if it was easy, I wouldn't do it. Um, <laughs> you, know, but, uh, uh, you know, right now, probably the easiest thing I do, which I enjoy is, you know, uh, COVID's forced us to do is having these virtual tastings. Mm. Um, mm. You know, I mean, you know, certainly the work up to it, getting the samples out to people uh, is the work. But once that's done and I can just sit, uh, you know, in front of a computer and talk to 40, 50, 20 people, whatever, uh, and, and talk about whiskey and talk, you know, walk them through it. Uh, let's, you know, compare notes and, and you know, let continue to educate. I mean, I, I think I, I've always enjoyed teaching and, and uh, I think continuing to do that and, and something that I'm passionate about mm-hmm. is, is, is great. And that's, you know, when you're passionate about something, as both of you know, it, it makes what you do easier
1: absolutely absolutely on this topic coming out of COVID and believing that there will be a world for us all to return to uh, whichever year it happens to be do you think the zoom tastings will continue to exist or do you think when the shackles are released and we all go back out on the road you know 35 40 weeks a year do you think we'll leave zoom behind what do you see going forward
2: I, I actually think that it, the, the virtual tastings are, are here to stay and, mm-hmm. and whether they the amount of them diminish uh, going forward. but you know let's look at it. when you have you know, 30 people, uh, you're spending an hour and a half to two hours with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's quality time uh, faced, you know you're exchanging information, you're tasting together. and at the end of the event, uh, nobody has to get in a car or get in a taxi mm-hmm. or whatever else and go home. Mm-hmm. They're already home. You know, <laughs> the worst thing is they have to stumble upstairs and hopefully, you know, they don't, But <laughs> you know, or downstairs or whatever. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I think that, I think because of that, it, it's, it's great. Um, you know, I mean, really, we all know that being at a, a, a whiskey show and standing behind a table for four or five hours, you might have, 30 seconds to a minute,
1: Mm.
2: maybe a minute and a half Mm. with a person, Mm. Um, you know, and and somebody who's really interested and you're having a great exchange with. But then, you know, then you might have to ignore somebody else or you're not sharing your time with that person. But, you know, these these Zoom sessions uh, or or whatever media you're using um, helps you to interact with somebody for for an hour and a half and, and something that you would never be able to get yeah. and, you know unless you're doing a master class yeah. for example yeah. sure. which, which I like sure. doing as well or um, but you know that's this is you know I think I think the zoom to me the zoom is sort of like these you know the virtual master classes or virtual classes and you know you exactly. all have a, a theme or a topic and and you have a captive audience
1: yeah I, to my mind the number of people who have become proficient with Zoom really crosses a, a large uh, swath of the populace, right? There's, there's people who used to struggle to even get on their laptop who are whiskey drinkers, who are now dedicated Zoomers and are participating in, you know, three a week uh, and loving it. And so I, I think on one side that the, the the technological advancements, you know, at the end of somebody's fingertips, is making a difference. But I also think what you're speaking to there, the comfort of it, hmm. has has I think really taken off for people. I did a tasting. This is probably a few months ago now, and Joshua was in it with me, and there was a dude, in his pool. Uh, he was in California, and he was in his pool and his glasses were all off to the side. His laptop was on the edge of the pool along with them. And he was just in his pool sampling whiskey and he just looked happier than a pig and shit, right? It's like, you're not going to get that if you show up at a festival that's got masterclasses. You're going to be in your clothes. You're going to be sitting in a chair. Exactly, exactly. It's going to be a different world for that person. (laughs) absolutely and i think
2: for that very reason that having something like these virtual uh um, sessions and events and stuff like that make a lot more sense you know i mean especially you know when when the weather is is harsh you know if Mm -hmm. if in the middle of winter you know who wants to get dressed up get in the car drive somewhere you know only to hit icy roads on the way back and you know or, or get in a as, uh, Uber or Lyft or whatever, you know, that makes a lot more sense to just say, oh hey, gosh. you know what, we're going to do six whiskeys uh, in the comfort of your own home, and, you know, you can ask any questions you want and interact with, with people.
0: Yeah, the, 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 yeah the, uh, the number of times I've, dro- I've, you know, I drove to an event to do a master class in snow, in slippery weather, you know, I may as well have been driving drunk because it was just as dangerous. And this is, yep. you know, October, November, December, definitely a busy time for whiskey. And as, yep. as much as I have a bit of Zoom fatigue, I will be very thankful for Zoom come, you know, snowy times. There's no doubt about it
1: and i imagine the the portfolio that impex has the portfolio that, that glass revolution has when there's so much world presence mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can now zoom in somebody you know, f- from india from yeah. ireland you know joshua's done it for milk and honey in israel yeah. right and and suddenly you've got 35 people focused on a world producer and they haven't had to fly. They haven't had to have an increased tour around the country. It's just that we've got them for 30 minutes. We've got them for an hour. Like, that, to me, will be the thing that keeps Zoom around going forward.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I've, you know, I've done a number with uh, drummers, Club. Oh, yeah. Mm, and, mm, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Charlie, and good lad. When Charlie's bringing in, you know, we did a Glen Scotia a couple of uh, months ago, and, and Ian was on for the whole time. Uh, you know, <laughs> Ian's and, amazing. You know, and having, you know, 40 people or whatever uh, that could talk one-on-one with Ian, he would answer your questions, uh, you know, just brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, we're planning yep. we're planning a Waterford one uh, hopefully early October and, you know, we'll have Mark on for it and, you know, it, uh, I mean, it's one of the things with the Drammers is that, uh, you know – three or four hours is nothing. Uh, Yeah. You know, so, you know, and, and, uh, you know, so it could, it could go on for a while, but, uh, you know, I think, I I think there's the the fun in that, but I, you're absolutely right, Jason. I mean, having, having the uh, distiller, the owner of the distillery, uh, representative of the distillery, whatever, that can be on there like they are there in person uh, without having to get on a plane, without, uh, you know, all the costs and expenses. And, you know, frankly, and, and Josh, you're probably the same, that from a, a corporate standpoint of view or from our business standpoint of view, what we're saving in, in travel costs, oh my yep, gosh, yeah, you know, is, is incredible. But, you know, we're still connecting with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'm I'm using our marketing dollars for, you know, social media things and also getting these uh, sample kits out to, to people. You know, it's... Yeah saves me a lot a lot of a lot of time i mean how many times have uh you know have any of us had to go somewhere for a show where you know you fly in the night before or you know the morning off uh, you have to pay for a hotel you pay for your flights you know you're in you're in a thousand bucks before you've even said good night
1: yeah yep yep a (laughs) hundred percent yep yep and over over Zoom, you know, you, you you can. You can be in California for a tasting one night. You can be in New York for a tasting the next. Washington yeah. State the night after that. Like, it's it's really opened up the calendar for, for how to speak to groups of people as well, yeah. uh, and regardless and frank, of you know, location. Fr-
2: yeah, and frankly, retailers love it too because we've partnered with a lot of retailers. And so it's their clientele that come in there and, you know, then it gives the retailer has the opportunity to say after, okay – who wants to buy, you know, what we tasted tonight? You know, it's on special tonight and, you know, people are, yep. are doing that. And it's just, mm-hmm. you know, three months ago they were probably so swamped they didn't want to do it. But now, you know, now they, they want to and we're doing more and more of them.
1: Well, and I do feel like just like you're, you're rightly saying, you know, we're not buying flights, we're not paying for hotels, we're not renting cars, nor is the consumer um, going out to bars, going out for dinner and I said this on a recent episode of the podcast, when we first locked down, I was like, okay, I, I've got enough whiskey. Like, I, I'll just be calm and sensible. And then a few months went past and I, I kind of needed something a little bit exciting. And I started buying again. And then I bought more and more. And it's been interesting watching consumers kind of do the same thing, figure it out the first couple of months. And now... We kind of know how to get whiskey to our doorsteps. Right. Uh, we can make this happen, and so it, exactly, yeah. You know, I think there's a, a bit of money to be spent at retailers when you're on a Zoom chat, and especially with retailers putting some discounts in place connected yeah, and, to the and, tastings.
2: Yeah, you know, to your point, if uh, you know, I think consumers are starting to realize that hey, if I go out for an evening to a bar and probably spending a hundred bucks, yep, right, um, yep. but I can I can now spend a hundred dollars. Uh, you know, on a bottle that's going to last me for longer than one night, right? Yep. Hopefully they're, yeah, not, absolutely. they're not drinking the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, night, if done still, properly. You know, it's just, yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's 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 all about uh, um, changing your uh, your experience and, and uh, uh, you know, whatever you want to do, it's, it's, it's broadening your horizons and trying to do things in a different way. And, yeah, okay. you know, sure, we all miss, you know, not being in a bar and, you know, we, we're commiserating with people and, and having, you know, laughs and jokes and stuff like that. But, you know, those days will come. And, uh, but we all want to be safe and we all want to make sure that we're, we're not, you know, spreading or, or, or picking up any kind of, uh, uh, you know, virus. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was just going to ask you that before we move on to talking about Waterford. What kind of percentage of your business, clearly brands, there are some brands that are on-premise brands, so they're, they're going to be restaurants, they're going to be bars. Um, given that you're a little bit more esoteric, given you've got the independent bottling side of things, how much of your business was, was on-premise? And, and how much was um, off-sales, uh, retail we, stores?
2: We probably were 30% on-premise, 70% that retail. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, that makes perfect sense. You know, and, and primarily things like you know, Mahon Gin from Spain, which is a... A big on-premise product. Uh, some of the the rums, the Omrit rums, uh, you know, they're priced for for cocktails. Um, but you know, we're still seeing retail sales. I mean, you know, we struggled in April, like May, but uh, we had the best July and August ever in our company history.
1: Oh wow! Uh, yeah, congratulations! Yeah, you know,
2: and we're just seeing we're just seeing that you know when you get uh, you know a, a retailer in in Nebraska. Or in uh, in you know, Knoxville, uh, buying ten fifteen thousand dollars worth of goods from you, you mm-hmm. think okay, something's changing there. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Have oh, you? That's fantastic yeah. to hear, Raj.
0: Have you seen? Have you seen the overall assortment change? I mean, uh, on premise aside, right? Bars, restaurants aside, for your retail, do you see? Some items changing course, or some items selling more than they had been before COVID, or is it kind of the same? Is you know, what does that look like?
2: You know, originally when, when COVID hit, uh, what was selling the most was the everyday the value brands, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, so people were buying the jugs of Jack and Tito's and whatever else, <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, they've got enough of that, and now it's saying, okay, what else is out there? And mm-hmm. we're seeing we're getting more demand for uh, our higher-end label, our higher-end higher, higher end brands, our super premium ones. Um, Good. You know, and, and we have, we developed a in-house system inventory and access system, and we can actually work with distributors and they can go on and create uh, a sell sheet just picking the items they want. It spits out the sell sheet uh, with the picture, the description, the price, uh, so they can do a tailored... Sell uh, around and and um, yeah, that's been really successful, uh, going wow, out. Wow, that sounds and, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really, really, really good that uh, we're. Was doing that software thing. that
1: you had pre-COVID, or was that a, a yeah. pivot that you made within? Yeah, it you was a
2: software. It? it was a software program that we had, and we've you know certainly this has given us more time to to tweak it and develop it, and and uh, you know it's just continues to evolve, but it's it's becoming our. You know, it's our inventory system, but it's also our information system for, uh, and we're giving access to brands that they can actually, okay, this is the information we need, populate it. You know, put in the, the UPC codes, put in the case weights and all that stuff, you know, because we need that stuff and, and I'm not going to go chasing you on it. You know, you have yeah. to mm-hmm. take some mm-hmm. ownership of this and put that stuff in there.
1: Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, I'm glad it's, glad it's found an audience for you during COVID as well. That's yeah. tremendous. Uh, so, so we've teased it all the way through the, the interview here. Let's talk about Waterford. <laughs> we've, you know, if, if you're on social media at all, you're seeing Mark Renier, um really kind of champion the brand. We've seen the launch in Europe, and it seems to have launched real hot commodity. I've actually got our our beloved Jess actually sent me three samples of Waterford from ah, Europe. Yep. Same. And so I've actually got Waterford beside me. Yeah, I've got Single Farm Meadow Lodge. I've got Bano Island. Yeah, Bano Island. And I've got Waterford Newmake, Groveside. Okay. So would um. I say Groveside, Bano Island, and Meadow Lodge? Is that how I would okay. say that?
2: Yep. I don't know the... I know Bano Island. I don't know the Meadow Lark. I don't know that one. But it's all about... Would Mark... You know everyone knows his his reputation by having resurrected broccolati mm-hmm. um uh, mm-hmm. you know him and, and ian and a few other people and then yeah, you know, he started doing that there i mean mark you know he, he's celebrating 40 years in the drinks business this year wow um 20 years of that was on the wine side and you know then 20 years on the on the whiskey side um and then when in 2012 when Uh, Brocolati was sold um you know mark Mark said about he's not somebody who said idle and he said about trying to find the next thing and he was talking to a few other whiskey people and especially the the distiller at uh, Brocolati, he said you know what the best barley that i've ever come across is from ireland (laughs) lots of and you, you know if you look at it if you look at the geographical position of ireland you know it's it's uh South of Isla, I mean Mark lives on Isla and he can look down and see, oh there's there's Ireland over there, you know, and it mm-hmm. benefits from some of that the climate system that benefits mm-hmm. I mean it, you know obviously being on the the west side of, of Ireland is you know is, can be nasty with the heavy winds and stuff like that, but you know it's just a, a beautiful place and so diverse. So when um, an old Diageo brewery, multi-million dollar brewery that Diageo had bought, uh, built in Waterford uh, to make uh, Guinness and Smithwick's and basically to produce the syrups that, you know, they then sell to other distilleries to our uh, breweries to produce those products. Mm-hmm. Um, and after a couple of years, they abandoned it and walked away from it. And you know, it's a $60 million operation. Wow. Six million pounds uh, or euros. and Gosh. And Mark, uh, you know, it was for sale. And, and uh, Mark and his team purchased it. Um, you know, they built on the site a super modern, uh, you know, distillery that is – it's got all the bells and whistles, but it's still only focused on making single malts. Um, hmm. Wow. So – you know, Mark's not somebody to do things in half measure. And saying that uh, we want to, you know, all we're going to do is do single malts. We're not doing Irish blends. We're not doing pot still. Uh, you know, we are. We just happen to be in Ireland making single malt, and you know, and the primary reason is because of the the source of barley. And they they have partnered currently. I think they have forty different farms that they're sourcing barley from.
1: Okay. Um,
2: and working very closely with them, uh, each each release currently, uh, as, you know, as the samples you have there, Jason, have the name of the farm on them. And they're all single farm origins. So like, I've got ah, okay. Dunmore, Dunmore, Rathcloth, and Dunbell are the three that we're going to have in the U.S. And they're the U.S. exclusives. These are not being oh, released in Europe or anywhere else. That's interesting yeah so the three the three single farms that we have are you know only for us um, they they will help you know the uh, interesting thing is all three of these use the same barley strain uh, arena they were all planted in 2015. okay I was gonna ask um, about this you know, and So you're getting three different farms, yeah three different farms, same barley and the, all three farms sit on the same latitude so same sort of soil, conditions that are in there mm-hmm. but this you know taste all three and and tell me that there isn't a difference i mean they uh-huh. they were mashed the same distilled the same uh same cuts same fermentation period uh but you've got you know and then they they obviously the maturation and i'll talk more about that in a second was the same and so you know basically mark's mission is to talk about that there is a terroir when it comes to barley
0: mm-hmm yeah so
2: and there's you know that discussion's <laughs> happened for for years, and there's still a lot of detractors from it and you know, like I said earlier about educating uh people, I think the only way to get this across is is for people to taste it and, and become educated
0: so yep. so okay, so you've got three different farms, all in okay. s- similar uh altitudes all using um, the same grain similar soil the whole latitude. thing is that what did I say latitude. I said latitude didn't I
1: you said altitude A- Altitude. Ar- altitude. Ar- Ar- Ireland's Ireland's not the Himalayas oh and, yeah. and so now you're giving latitude. so
0: you're giving me attitude about the word, I mean, okay. Never oh, <laughs> oh so I did that. yes. So my que- wow, my question yeah. to you. I'm certainly
1: not going to give you any platitudes. Oh, oh. So.
0: And for that, I have gratitude. So <laughs> my question to you oh, is, oh. my question to you, because maturation, right, does play a part in the final product, and of course, flavors can change once you introduce wood. Uh, you've you've tasted you've i imagine you've tasted the new make from uh, Yes. right and so so how does the new make differ from from farm to farm to farm
2: so again it's going to depend on if it's the same barley strain or or not yeah if it is the same barley strain there are differences in the flavor profile they are coming off the still at around 71 72%
0: okay.
2: and they're filling the barrels with that they're not watering it down oh, they're shit. taking it off the still at full strength and putting it in barrel. So there, there is, I mean, I'm happy to share some new make with both of you. I think I've got two or three different ones just to compare them, but there is a difference. There is, um, you know, whether it's, it's, uh, minute or, or discernible. And I think it's discernible that you can tell there's, there's flavor differences in there. And, you know, we're all, we're all whiskey, uh, you know, lovers and 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 we know how to pick up nuances and notes mm-hmm. and flavor profiles. So, you know, I think that that helps us when we're tasting these to see them. Um, but with the maturation of it, so when they, so they're, when they get the barley from a farm, it is kept separately. So the barley goes into a separate holding area at the cathedral, which is a facility that was custom built for Waterford. So every Barley has its own pen that it stays in, and then it is mashed, distilled, and aged separately. So they're keeping it all hmm. separate. Wow. And the, so for the three that we're getting for the U.S., they were split into different types of casks. So 35% was in uh, ex-bourbon American casks, mm-hmm. 20% in new American, hmm. uh, 25% in French casks and then 20% in vendu naturel, so fortified wine casks oh
0: okay Mm.
2: so you have this make that gets split into you know they're they're leaving it in there and then they will when it comes down to bottling ned will take percentages from each of the different casks to create what the final product is in the bottle but the, the the percentage is on there and the transparency is incredible i mean every bottle that a consumer buys has a terroir code on there wow you go on to waterford's website you put in the code and it will give you every more information than you ever w- wanted i mean <laughs> what what you know what the farmer's dog's name is what the <laughs> <laughs> weather was like the day it was planted. What the weather was like when it was harvested. Uh, you know the rainfall, uh, mm. uh, the soil type, all of that. I mean, it's wow. They are not there. There is more information than anyone could ever want. And and uh, you know now the next step is to say, okay, how do we how do we codify this? How do we put it into uh, a way that it's uh, pallet? You know. D- Useful and palatable, rather than having all of this information out there. But the, you know, the whole thing is it's uh, provenance, uh, terroir, and transparency, and that's what Waterford is all about. Wonderful. Uh,
0: okay, so I'm gonna. I w- I want to make sure I'm asking this question properly. There's going to be a bit of a build-up, so prepare yourself. <laughs> uh, <coughs> all right. So, we need a drum roll. Yeah, please. <laughs> so your yeah. arms will be tired by the time. <laughs> <laughs> So in the Impex portfolio, we have Pandaren. And when Pandaren talks about their whiskies, they say, you know, we, we're a Welsh distillery. We're not Scotch whiskey. Our whiskey doesn't taste like Scotch whiskey. We're not Irish whiskey. Our whiskey doesn't taste like Irish whiskey. So here you've got Mark Renier, who re- reopened Brook Lottie, got them up and going, and started doing some of these barley experiments that that has now become not just an experiment with Waterford, but that is a way that the way that they work. Does Mark Renier? So this is a bit of a two-parter. Does Mark Renier talk about this as this is Irish single malt, and this is you know this is within the the category of Irish single malt, or is he? Is he, in a way, looking at it as creating this hybrid of Scottish-style whiskey produced in Ireland? So that's one question. And then question number two is, from your own taste perspective, how do you perceive the whiskey and its place within, you know, UK-slash-European single malt category?
2: So Mark will readily say that it is for, for what they're making is foremost a single malt it just happens to be made in Ireland mm. you know to your earlier point Josh you know I, what does Irish whiskey what is Irish whiskey what does Irish whiskey taste like mm-hmm. you know Mark Mark will say that if it's going to be Irish then should it not mean that it is uh, Irish barley that it's you know it is sourced and made in Ireland mm. No, we know that in Scotland, sixty percent of the barley that's used in Scotland doesn't come from Scotland, right. yeah, or even the UK. There isn't enough barley that is produced to satisfy the demand, and a lot of barley comes from the, you know, the Middle East or or the Ukraine or Canada or wherever, right? And unless you're specif- unless a distillery is specifying that we want this particular barley. Uh, you know, from here, mm-hmm. they don't know what they're getting. They're buying barley and it's, you know, it could be a particular strain and it's obviously malted a particular way. But, you know, at the end of the day, they're trying to produce, <laughs> Mark said this yesterday, <laughs> they're trying to produce something, the most economical way that they can, you know, yep. most of them. And, you know, we have a difference. I mean, obviously, you know, Josh, you import Kilhoman and, you know, Kilhoman has set out there growing their own barley for most of it and, you know, making a difference that way in what they're producing. Mm-hmm. The same thing with, I mean, Pendaren. What is Welsh whiskey? In, uh, England. I mean, you know, we had the English whiskey, and now there's three or four other, five other English single malts out there. Uh, what you know, can you define what English whiskey or English single malt is? Right. Um, you know, can you define what an American single malt is? I mean, they <laughs> you can't. The American producers can't even agree on what should define a single malt, an American single malt. <laughs> yeah, yep. Right? Uh, you know, I mean, at least in, in Scotland, there are regulations that say you have to do this, this, and this to create a single malt. But, you know, it's evolving. I mean, currently, you know, last year, they allowed use of different types of casks. Mm-hmm. You know, so now we're seeing X, tequila casks. Yeah. You know, uh, things like that being used. um you know, so going back to your original question, it is foremost a single malt. It is 100% malted barley, Irish malted barley, pot still, double distilled. It's not triple distilled, you know, and aged in oak barrels, which is a you know a requirement in in Scotland that it has to be oak.
0: So right. So do you feel like you're put in a position of pushing water uphill again? selling an Irish single malt that doesn't fit most people's understanding of what Irish whiskey is like?
2: Well, Waterford well, for means a crossing, so we're actually crossing water rather than pushing it. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Right? <laughs> but Ten points I, to Gryffindor uh, for know, that. Yeah. yeah, there you go. <laughs> I had that uh, – we had the discussion yesterday. We did a, a virtual – session with Mark and Ned, uh, we had about 35 people on there, um, you know, our distributors and some media. And, you know, that question came up, where do you place Waterford? And, you know, I think in a retailer, uh, putting it in the Irish section doesn't do it justice. You know, I mean, when you say Irish whiskey to a general consumer, 90% of the time you're going to get Somebody's saying, oh, Jameson's, you know, and uh, I, uh, you know, I, or Bushmills or something like that. And I, you know, we, yeah, we shoot Jameson's all the time. You know, it's not a Irish whiskey uh, per se. And that's, you know, it's a, it's a single malt. It's an Irish single malt. It is, you know, so I think it fits nicely into our portfolio because it's a, as far as I'm concerned, it's a world single malt.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: You know, and uh, and I would I would like to see it in the you know there are retailers that we all know that have single malt sections, mm-hmm. right? It's so it's world single malt, and that's where Pandarin goes, that's where uh, Armid goes, that's where you know uh, Starward from Australia sure, and other single malts yeah. go, right? Um, and Japanese whiskeys and you know etc. Um, you, you know that that category of world. Single molds uh, continues to grow, mm-hmm. and, and I think that consumers are starting to look for that and trying and starting to uh, expand their horizons and and uh, expand their, their tastes to say what else is out there. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm reminded of uh, you know five years ago when I the first whiskey show I did in in Kentucky, uh, it was any bourbon? Nope. Okay, and they would walk right by. You know, and you'd have the <laughs> occasional person. Hey, uh, you know what do you have that's not bourbon? You know because we've had all the bourbons. We want to know what else is out there. Um, hmm. So, brown spirits are are uh, still you know popular, and and people are starting to say what else is available in brown spirits.
1: Wow, that leads me perfectly. Were you happy with answers to both parts of your question, Joshua? Joshua asked two part oh. questions, well, yes, and yeah, I, yeah what, the, the There was the question? second.
2: Yeah, part. Yeah, I was trying. To, uh, the first part was about whether it's where does it fit into the category and the second part
0: is your own perception you know your your thoughts on the uh, whiskey yeah
2: yeah i thought i sorry i thought i addressed that by saying that it, it to me in our portfolio it sits uh, it sits within the world we specialize whiskey in, okay. which is world whiskey category and you know and it it everything that i think most of what we have in our portfolio We talk about authenticity. We talk about um, uniqueness, uh, you know, that we have direct connections with the the distillery. Um, It's not, you know, the distillery is not part of a a big conglomerate. Uh, You -hmm. know, if I have an issue, I pick up the phone and I talk to Mark or I talk to Ned at Waterford or I I talk to Ashok in Armroot, you know, and say, hey, you know, can you do this? Uh, You know, we're not happy about this, Uh, you know we have that relationship with them yeah. and, and yeah. likewise we tell every distillery that we represent that we're an extension of you. You know, if we don't, if we can't adequately represent you the way you would represent
1: yourselves, we're not doing our job. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. Uh, yep. I'm so pleased to hear you saying that Raj as importer, because that's certainly what we say as independent bottlers mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and all of this, to our minds, to be done well has to be that two-way street where we're representing one another to the best of our abilities. Um, and that's what will make our representation stronger within the marketplace. Okay. Yep.
2: Yeah, and it's not only you know, us representing it, but it's also making sure that our distributors are on the same wavelength, that they're, they're delivering the same message. And going back to your the point you just made, Jason, I think because of your ethos and what you do, it allows you to uh, get spirits or whiskey from, uh, or you know, you have, you've bottled other spirits too, but get them from places that other people can't. You know, when Correct. when you bottle something, it's like, oh, how did they get that? <laughs> well, it's because you know you have you have an honest. Relationship with the distillery, and you are conveying to them that you're representing them the way that they want to be represented.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yep, yep, agreed. And and you know, it always honors us when good people like yourself see that in us. But know too that we see it in you, and and the relationships and the the brands that you represent. We know exactly why brands are coming to you uh, to be brought into the United States. So so kudos there as well. It's been. Wonderful sitting with you. It's been wonderful just simply spending time with you. I haven't spent time with you since we we drank in uh, Potomac. Um, yeah. And that was probably two or three years ago at this point. Oh, so it's been, it's been very wow. nice to see you and sit down with you. But but to get out of here on this, and it's with an eye to the future. Clearly, you've got something exciting that's happening right now uh, with Waterford. Clearly, you're doing a wonderful job building your brand. Clearly, you've done an exceptional job representing Amrut. What's the future look like? What are you most excited about? Assuming 2021 has some normal times in it, what what are you excited for looking into that year?
2: That's a good question. I mean, as an extension of, of what I've been talking about, my passion and, and our belief in whiskey is, and other good quality uh, spirits is... You know, we've we've been buying some of our own casts uh, and and bottling those, and uh, uh, but you know, limited amounts. They're all single casts that I'm sourcing. We're either you know laying down for future, uh, and a number of them will be ready next year. We've already done uh, two Australian single casts from a, cl- a now closed distillery called Southern Coast, and I bought the last two barrels that uh, they had. That's uh, your label, okay. It. Yes. Yeah. Bottled it under our our dram hunter yes. label. Yes. Okay. And then uh, and then our rum runner is our is our rum label.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know and and oftentimes I guess mean, it's, it's our it's our uh, destiny that oftentimes we're sort of slightly ahead of the curve on things and you know bringing in world whiskey uh, you know now having single barrels of rum where there's full disclosure where we're saying. This is actually, you know, twelve or eighteen or ten years old. It's not a Solera. And here's a single barrel mm-hmm. that we've bottled at full strength, not done anything to, because we want you to understand the story behind the spirit rather than uh you know what somebody's put into a bottle and, and uh you know, made into something that mm-hmm. that they wanted you to have. Mm-hmm. So
0: Fantastic. I think that's
2: you know, that's it and I think you know the uh we continue to Look for unique opportunities. I mean, we, you know, we did bring in uh, two years ago a 28-year-old hammerhead from the uh, the Czech distillery that was, you know, that yeah. existed during the communist regime. And last year we brought in a 30-year-old, mm-hmm. which celebrates the 30th anniversary of the Velvet Revolution. So when I, you know, continue to find things like that and uniqueness and uh, something really different, and you know, okay, so it's it's you know maybe 300 bottles, but it's three hundred bottles of something that wasn't here before.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, well and by and represented by somebody who's willing to go to bat for right. it. Mm-hmm. Not just punt it out into the market and wish it well, but yep. actually represent it in front of people. Such a difference maker. Thank you.
2: Thank you. Wonderful. And great great ah. sitting down with both of you. It's uh it's been a long time and, and uh Josh last year, you know, was at Brandy Library it was uh last time that you and I mm-hmm. saw each other and and uh, you know, um But those times will come again. I think that there will be a hybrid of uh, both in-person events and we'll continue to have these uh, virtual events
1: as well. Goodness knows we're all going to stay busy one way or another. (laughs) There's no doubt about that. Uh, Sure.
2: Cheers,
1: Cheers, Raj. Cheers.
2: All right. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. Cheers, fans. Appreciate it.
1: Sincere thanks to Raj for sitting down with us, having that type of chat with us, mm-hmm. nothing off the table, all questions welcomed. And one of the aspects that I want to draw attention to is Raj travels as much as anybody I know, mm-hmm. you, know you know, travels as much as you do, I do, we do, all of us do. We were all feeling the effects of not seeing one another on the road. Oh my gosh. And and as you said before we started the interview, just getting a chance to sit down for an hour, share a dram, have a chat, it's so welcome at this time, especially at this time. Mm -hmm. But it's really telling when the three of us, who invariably will bump into one another on our travels, and we're always lamenting. I was just in place X. I'm home for the weekend. I'm off to place Y next week. Ah, I'd love to just be kicking up my heels at home. And now that we've spent nine months kicking up our heels at home, we're all saying, I can't wait to get back on the road. Can't wait to see you in city X, city Y, city Z. Like, ah, let's go out and about again.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... And going out and about with Raj, in, in my mind, is always a treat. So, And we, we talk about it a little bit in the interview, but I want to bring it up here again. The last time that I saw Raj was at Brandy Library in New York, and it was for an event that Matt Learn was putting together where he gets a bunch of producers to bring a special bottling, right? And then you've got like five minutes to present it. That's the one downfall, right? You've got all of these special bottlings with like five minutes to appreciate it. And it's not enough time. At the same time, you're with a bunch of really cool people. You can you can put the whiskeys to the side if you don't want to go through it so fast. So, you know, you can go at your own pace. You don't have to listen to, to the good Dr. Matt. Anyway, so the last time I saw...
1: Uh, you're not following rules. That's
0: right. Boom. Rule breaker. So last time I saw, Raj was at this event, and he had brought a bottle. It was a twenty-five-year-old Glen Scotia, and I had brought maybe it was maybe it was our Bowmore, maybe it was our thirty-year-old Bowmore. I can't quite remember.
1: Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm.
0: But there was a photo opportunity where they were like, "Okay, let's take your pictures," and Raj and I are, are arm in arm. And we both had it in our head that on the count... And, of course, we didn't tell one another that on the count of three, we would turn around and kiss one another on the cheek. But it ended up being a full-on kiss on the mouth. (laughs) And that picture is around there somewhere, so... uh, Then
1: then the masthead has just designed itself (laughs) because... Yes. Because Raj and I were doing side-by-side pours Hmm. at the first Jack Rose dining saloon, you know, premier dram event, epic drams, right? Yeah. And I had somebody take a photo of us from across the bar where I've got my arm around him. And as the picture's being taken, I bend my head and kiss him on the top of his head and so i know i'll send you my photo (laughs) for the masthead you find your mouth on mouth photo for the Uh masthead and basically you've got us even though we're socially distanced nowadays we'll have us giving raj kisses and he will thoroughly enjoy that do you think he's in it just for the kisses I think you may be... A hundred percent. hundred percent. I said in our intro, there are often questions that I don't get to ask our guest. That was the question that I walked out of that I didn't get to ask him. Are you in this only for our kisses, Raj? We're just going to have to assume the answer is yes.
0: Well, you've given me a job, Jason, to create the most special of mastheads, and I'm on it.
1: I'm looking forward to this. And it's funny, right? Because our listeners are going to see the masthead and then... Although I say this, clearly if you're a subscriber and it just appears on your your device and you listen, you're not actually seeing the masthead. It's seeing the announcements on social media. It's seeing it at Podbean that you see the masthead before the episode. And so there could very well be listeners who haven't seen the masthead. I have no idea what we're even talking about with regards to mastheads.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So with that in mind, before we go into, so we don't have news, but we do have some listener email that we want to get to. Uh, but before we get into that, if you're a subscriber to the podcast and you haven't seen any of the mastheads that we do for each episode, <laughs> you can always go just to just, possible. right? You just go to one nation under whiskey.com and go to our episodes list uh, you know, sometimes it's just a picture of the person, uh, but sometimes they're good fun. Right along. Jason, I think you have the email machine in front of you, and, and we just received an email. Maybe yesterday, maybe, Indeed. maybe the day before.
1: Indeed, given that we continue to sit on older emails and I I do feel a little bit bad about it. um, At some point, I'm going to sit down and clear out our our inbox because there's some that we say, oh, we need a quicker email than that one. And so we're not dismissing anybody's emails. It's just the use to which we put it within the pad cost. Mm -hmm. And so we got an email from someone who's an, an avid supporter of the nation. Mm -hmm. He's in New York City, and I know his first name is Pinchas, Mm -hmm. with that real nice Scottish Hebraic CH in the middle. Yes. I know what to do with that. Yeah. But his last name is C-H-E-I-N. So
0: even even with your first one the the pink chis, i th- I think you went a little overboard, you got a little overzealous with the with the clearing of one's throat Oh, no
1: oh no no, no, I got this straight from the source no yeah straight from the source I think that
0: was him accentuating it just just so you can kind of get oh. it. I would say it's more oh. like a a pink chis. right pink chis. no, no,
1: that's so flat, that's hardly Hebraic that's Given that the Jewish guy on the podcast is pronouncing like like that, I honestly I feel a little bad for you I, right
0: now. I feel as if I got a bit of street cred going on. I feel as if maybe you should be listening to me.
1: So flat, so flat. So
0: okay, so you so know, how
1: would you do? How would you do the C-H-E-I-N then? Would c- you lo- launch with the Chien on that one? But yeah. Then, I, I,
0: how did I? I would say. So here is the thing, right? I would say uh-huh. it could be chen, but it's mm-hmm. more than likely Shane, like almost like a mix between an SH and a CH. So if you think about it, who's who was, who was the, the guy who used to run Scotch Malt Whiskey Society in the US? Alan Shane, right? With Shane, SH. Shane, like there's, Shane is almost an extraction of that, and so I, so I think it's closer to the the sh sound and less the CH sound. The good news is, Pinchas listens to our podcast quite a lot And he will do a wonderful job Of fixing our wagon and setting us straight
1: 100% There yes. is no doubt yep. Yep. That yep. he will yep. reach out yep. None at all So here's his email Hi, J, J, and J All right. So he's, he's covered his bases on the name front So yes. yep. kudos there Well done Two questions, if you please. Number one, as I work my way backwards on the pad costs, oh, that's
0: right. He's going and
1: first. he he made this comment on Facebook, and I'm I, you know, it's in our private members only Facebook group, so I saw it and responded, and I said, "Wow, you're in the unenviable position." of our podcasts actually getting shorter and our intros being more to the point.
0: <laughs> uh-huh. So there you go. He's, <laughs> That's he's, what he's, he's, he's literally enjoying a de-evolution of our podcast. Yes. That's amazing.
1: Yes. It's amazing. Yes. Can, can you imagine going through that world? Yeah. He says, I am up to season three, episode two, interview with Jennifer Nickerson of Tipperary. When will Single Cast Nation do a bottling of Irish whiskey? Mm-hmm. And so I can tell you, pinkus that we already have an Irish whiskey in the archive. That's true. And, and at some point in the future, we are going to release a read-only version of our Single Cast Nation archive. But I have the archive in front of me right now. Okay. And in looking at the archive right now, in May of 2015, we filled 252 bottles Mm -hmm. from a refill sherry butt. That's clearly not a butt filling on that one. We must have... Filled a portion from somebody. That's, that's correct.
0: We we
1: had access to
0: a portion of that, and the if I remember correctly, the other portion of it was being diluted down to forty percent with caramel color added to it and gone off to Asia. Hmm. Yep.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so we, so we rescued 252 bottles <laughs> from a refill sherry butt yeah. and sold them to the nation for $105 a bottle. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. that, was, that was a good seller. That was a, that was a reasonably quick seller. That was our 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. Coolie. Yeah. So, so we have done it. We've, we've run into some, some issues. Partly Irish whiskey has gotten much, much more expensive. The other aspect is the regulations have changed mm-hmm. and Irish whiskey, to be deemed Irish whiskey, must also be bottled as well as matured in Ireland to be an Irish whiskey. Yeah. So that's complicated matters for us. Our, our coulee, we did purchase in Scotland, we did bottle in Scotland, we were still able to call it an Irish single malt.
0: Yeah, I think those new regulations went into play in two thousand. 18 where it, where it had to be bottled in Ireland somewhere around there and and we do still see some Irish whiskey every now and again on lists but it's never in cask form so occasionally we'll receive lists that show whiskey already in bottle which we never look at that but I you know we how should I say this we never entertain that as an acquisition rather we you know, it's just, it's just to see that it's there, but we've never entertained it to to bottle it, right? And so, if it's all if it's already if it was already put into bottle prior to that date of being, you know, where it says it has to be bottled in Ireland to be Irish whiskey, then then that's what's going to be available. If we want to buy Irish, it's got to come from Ireland, and we have to bottle in Ireland, and we just have not sorted those logistics yet.
1: That's exactly okay. correct. Yep, there's, <laughs> there's no word of not truth in that answer. So Correct. well done, you. Yep. Okay. Uh, question. you. Question number two here. I'm not sure if you got my first emailed question, which he says came from the website directly. Hmm. And and we did not. And, and the reason we're keeping this in the podcast is if you or somebody else who has emailed us directly from the website, we're not sure where those questions go. Well, I'll
0: be checking the website to, to see if, there's, <laughs> if there are any issues. Um, so, so, you know, hopefully we'll yes. fix that. But no, we, we did not see that initial email,
1: Mr. Hain, Shane. Hain, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you for bringing it to our attention. And so he continues, is Single Cast Nation going to be making their own blend of Scotch I know you're picking blended malts from various places, but will you be making from scratch? I thought that was an interesting question. I I thought even just the leading portion of that, is Single Cast Nation going to be making their own blend of scotch? Hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, I know a few years ago we talked about it, but... It really wasn't our, our expertise. And the only reason why we talked about it is is we had an interested party in the US looking for their own proprietary blend. I don't know if you remember this. And so we said, oh, let's let's look at it, but it you never really went further than that. But instead you and I switched the tact a little bit and are going to be coming I have to I have to be very careful with my words here because I don't want to give away too much, right? This isn't the keep news it squirrely. section, right? I'll keep it squirrely. Uh, this isn't the news section. This is us just trying to hint <laughs> towards something. So we have been working on a new brand of whiskeys that will be priced competitively. That will be delicious. That will be non-chill filtered, natural coloring. And it will be single malt, though. It will not be a blend, and it will not be a blended malt. I don't want to go too much further into this, other than, you know, when you and I conceived of this idea maybe two, two and a half years ago, it was with the idea of, that could work. And then as the idea goes kicks down the road and we're starting to work with distilleries and producers and such, and then we taste the juice that we could be putting into this, we're saying, "Oh my gosh, this is," you know, the 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 value to quality is 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 almost flipped, right? You're getting more value because of the quality, and uh, I, can't, I don't I don't, want, I don't want to give too much more away, but if you can think of other things, <laughs> well, I
1: remember I remember standing in a a Kinko's or Staples parking lot. Mm. With you in Chicago In 2018 Mm -hmm. And we'd already been working on this brand For about a year At that point So it's been three years And I remember saying to you Because as always when you're getting All of your logistical ducks in a row It always takes much longer (laughs) Than you would ever hope I remember saying to you, "If this ends up being a third quarter 2019 launch, mm-hmm. that'll be okay." And and this would have been October of 2018 because we were in Chicago for the Jubilee. <laughs> That's right. It's really the only time I would see you in Chicago or see you in New York. Yeah, it would be for the Jubilees. And and I said that to you then. Little did we know that by October 18 of 2019 the third quarter, Mm -hmm. we'd be dealing with tariffs on single malt scotch, which (laughs) knocked this out of a price point that that you and I wanted to put it at. Yeah, it was dead in the water. Yeah, And here we sit, October of 2020, now saying to one another, if this is a 2021 launch, maybe third quarter, of 2021 maybe earlier if we can get all of our ducks in a row that'll be a success and so that will have been three years from you and I standing in that parking lot and ultimately four years from you and I starting to say what if what if we did this what if we did that so yeah I'm hugely excited to get a branded single malt out there. And and you absolutely hit the nail on the head. We've got a reputation as quality guys. And I don't just mean that as two wonderful chaps, (laughs) but the quality of what's contained in the glass that we release. Yeah, yep. And we're not going to compromise that even as we chase, uh, as you said it, a competitive price point for this single malt. Mm-hmm. So so ho- hopefully, hopefully those who have trusted us to this point will continue to trust us. Hopefully we'll get a new product on shelves that will become a regular purchase for fans of the nation, mm-hmm. occupants of the nation. And because our podcast is global and because our company is global, I want to be crystal clear in saying this new brand will be global. Correct. That is
0: 100% correct. US, UK, EU, Asia, rest of the world. That is what that's what the aim is for this brand. Very exciting.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad we've got Pinkus asking his question uh, about whether we've ever ever contemplated our own blend of scotch. And I wouldn't take it off the table. You know, you and I talk about being hugely impressed by High West, David Perkins, of course. Uh, Compass Box are currently celebrating their 20th anniversary. We're hugely impressed by John Glazer. We've had a conversation on this podcast with James Saxon mm-hmm. and his role within blending for that company. We we have huge respect for those who are blending If we do it, we will not be approaching it lightly. We will not be thinking, oh, you just stick some of that with some of that and out comes something wonderful. We understand it's a much bigger challenge than that. And if we end up going in that direction, it will only be when we've pulled it off to our own demands, Mm -hmm. as well as the demands the nation places upon us.
0: Yeah, you know, I think think that that, Jason aside from letting people know how they can get in touch with us like like Pincus did is likely a really good way to end this podcast
1: yeah it's been a lovely recording and a lovely interview I, I hope it's been a good listening experience for the listeners
0: I hope so too so if you dear listener would like to be like like Pincus or potentially like Paul Marco right he, he sent a postcard in uh, you know you can you can contact us in a multitude of ways, a plethora of ways as, as some might say. you could email us questions at one nation under you could tweet at us at one Nation whiskey. no one seems to do that anymore, which i 'm kind of okay with because I fucking hate Twitter. You could send us an Instagram message at one Nation under whiskey. you could contact us on Facebook, just go to the Facebook search bar and just look for one Nation under whiskey. And, uh, of course, whiskey is always spelled without the E. If you spelled it with the E and you're trying to uh, contact us, you've done it woefully wrong. And then, finally, you can send us a postcard, send us a letter to One Nation Under Whiskey or J&J Spirits or Single Cast Nation, whatever you want to do, to post office (laughs) box 335 and that's in Guilford, Connecticut, G-U-I-L-F-O-R-D, Connecticut. C-T is the state code, 06437. And that will get to us, and we will most definitely read uh, your postcard on here. We'll try to get to as many emails as possible. Finally, finally, if you want to leave us a nice comment on Apple Podcasts to you know, let people know what you think of the podcast— Four or five star reviews are always welcome. Nice words are always welcome. If you have a problem with us, well, you can use any of the aforementioned ways to get in touch with us directly and we'll we'll try to address that privately. But if you have nice things to say, please go ahead and say them on Apple Podcast.
1: As you talk there about trying to get through emails, we are starting to ramp up for our annual mailbag episode, which we run the middle of February and have a closing deadline of the end of January to get those emails in, we will be going through the inbox and seeing, okay, who has been incredibly patient with us (laughs) or who who asked a deeper question, a longer question, who asked multiple questions and we'll start to get them lined up so that we do catch up. With people who have been waiting patiently mm-hmm. for us to to cover them, but but as we sit here in October, we've only now got you know two or three episodes in November, two or three episodes in December. You know, obviously depending on how the the Wednesdays fall in those months. January will be here in no time, and and then we'll be wrapping up the fourth season in no time at all. So we 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 love having those questions, love being able to to wrap them up and catch up on all of them they're they're a ton of fun yeah
0: and the other thing that we're ramping up for and I only bring this up because I look forward to this episode every year but I just found out a lot of listeners do as well because I've received a few facebook messages a couple emails where people saying you know I'm oh and, and it was on facebook as well because Ben Homan, a uh, Single Cast Nation member and, and, and you know, a very good uh, listener of the podcast had asked what everybody's favorite SCN bottling was for 2020. And someone had said, you know, Joshua and Jason do this every year on their podcast. And so it was nice to hear that people appreciate that. And so I'm looking forward to, to doing our year in review as well. I think that'll be good fun.
1: It's exactly how you open the podcast. Mm-hmm. We do this for fun. Mm -hmm. We do this because we enjoy each other's company Mm -hmm. and the nonsense that each of us spews and getting to hear what you thought of the year for the company and what I thought of the year for the company. It's a conversation we would be having anyway. Why not have it with 45,000 of our closest friends?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why not? Indeed. Well, Jason, I want to thank you. So I will thank you. Thank you. Uh, I would like to thank Raj, so I will. Thank you, Raj. And thank you to the listeners, uh, as, as always and, and forever, for, for your support, for your questions, uh, for your evangelizing of, of the podcast and of our whiskeys. It really means a lot. It means the world to us. You guys help make this a special thing for us, so thank you.
1: 100% well said. Thank you. Let's get out of here.
0: All right, Jason. Three chins. Three chin. Ooh, three chins. Oof. A click for each chin.